Well, you surprised me with the intro music. Well, you, well, you surprised me with the intro music. The intro music. Well, you, well, you, the intro music. The intro music. The intro music. Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? You mean besides having seltzer all over my hands? I, all over. It's everywhere. It's a mess. <laughs> I am good. I'm wearing new sweatpants. That's nice. It's nice to have seltzer-soaked sweatpants. Yeah, they're fine. Uh, I got some. I, I, I was in the market for new sweatpants. I got sweatpants. It's not another thing. They're fine. They're not special. Nor are they gray, and I understand that gray sweatpants is kind of a thing for guys. Oh, well, I have some gray sweatpants. These are navy, a heather navy. They are. I like heather. Heather navy. I like heathered solid tones. But they're still so new that, like, it doesn't, they could be, like, $5 Gildans, and they'd be rad. <clears throat> but Disposable I, sweatpants. <laughs> I think that they're going to, I think they're, I'm excited. New sweatpants. It's exciting. And they feel good. They feel good. You wearing undies? Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Always. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm a. I, I'm like a. Very opposed to. Free balling. Sometimes in new sweatpants, I like to, go commando, like get the full experience. It's not a moral opposition. It's actually just like I don't want. It. I, I don't like it. I'm just saying. Sometimes. Never. <laughs> Uh, Andrew, how are you? I am good. Today's Valentine's Day for Correct us. Mundo. It, it is. It's not Valentine's Day for them. Uh, so we had our traditional Chinese food dinner. Where did you wind up going? We ended up getting Lakyan. Um, Which does not sound Chinese to me. It's it's not particularly good. Um, it's a long-standing Chinese food restaurant here in town. And we have had it before, and it's pretty okay. Um, Because our go-to place, which is right around the corner from the house, is closed for renovations. It's too bad. It's really good, too. It's so good. So we got, you know, bottom-shelf Chinese food. It was still good. But the gap between... Good Chinese food and like every other Chinese food is is vast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's noticeable, whatever. So I had Chinese food for dinner. I'm feeling a little happy. I'm feeling good about it. Mm-hmm. We had a good Valentine's Day. I, I respect that. Uh, I do think that you should have gone to Chopsticks. It's a, it would have been a 40-minute time investment in travel. Hmm. 20 at least each way. Probably closer to 30, given the time of day. Yeah, maybe. I think you can get there faster than that, but uh, it's worth it. We're out of Grubhub distance for them. It's worth it. It's worth it. Chopsticks is worth it. It, Yeah, no, I I believe you. Noodles is better. And they're just not available. So we settled for last best. (laughs) (laughs) I I had Papa Murphy's for dinner. Ooh, good call. Valentine's Day, Papa Ooh, it's Murphy's. Tuesday, so it's twelve dollar Tuesday. That's right, twelve dollar Tuesday, Papa Murphy's. That's what I had for dinner. I love me some Papa Murphy's. I wish I'd had chopsticks, though. I wish I'd had noodles. And we're talking about watches. Here we are. We made it four four and a half minutes in. And we're gonna do something we haven't done in, in a little while. We're gonna round up the watch happenings in the last several weeks. Uh, the, the level of the level of watch aggregator has slipped. Watch news aggregation has slipped. It's yeah. Uh, the, the loss of Watchville has, has hurt, has stung me personally. I'm lamenting that loss. There's a what, what's what's so watch watchista watch launched watchicity 
which is a similar aggregator, but <clears throat> I don't feel like their aggregation depth is as deep. Yeah, I don't think they're pulling from as many sources and yeah. not, not quite as much variety. So it, these episodes have been a little bit trickier. Because mm-hmm. we have to, I mean, these now it's no longer like hit watch fill and scroll through be like, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, that's important. Yeah, we, yeah, we normally s- start with a handful of things and then fill in the gaps. Yeah, that's harder. Yeah, there, a lot of the gaps. Like I don't care about AP news or Richard Meal news. I just don't. Like, sure, it's neat. It feels very remote. Yeah, it's not. It's not something I'm gonna spend any time talking about. I'm gonna read the article, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna lose the content. As soon as I close the tab. Right. It's like reading about Bugattis or something. It's like, oh, that's cool. Next. Neato. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that, right? It's a bummer. Which just means that it's more time filling out from having to go to a dozen different websites and save tabs throughout the week. and and, And I do understand that there are some ways you can build an aggregator based on an RSS feed. Um, and I know people do this. It's not something I've deigned to take on at this point. It's not something I will take on either. Uh, I don't think it's particularly complicated. In fact, I think it can be very, very simple. Uh, but at this point I haven't done it yet. So maybe that's, we'll just say that's TBD. Cause other people were doing it for us and we were visiting their website and getting them traffic for their ads. Yeah. Well, we'll figure it out. We're going to figure something out. If if you guys, uh, if any of you guys have some ideas for us or thoughts for us or want to build an aggregator for us, we're, we're here for it. Yeah, we'll use it and appreciate it. With that in mind, however, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. We've got probably too many links to even possibly get to. I'd say we just start... Andrew, is there anywhere in particular that you would like to start? I'd like to start with one because this is something that uh, you see a lot of following big celebrity gatherings. So the Super Bowl was on Sunday. was one of the best Super Bowls in recent memory. Yeah. Uh, Certainly most competitive. There's going to be some hurt feelings. But one of the most competitive Super Bowls in recent memory. Stinging butts. Yeah. For sure. With that... In watch media comes watch spotting Super Bowl 53? Seven. Seven? Whatever it was. Eight? Seven. 57. Okay. Definitively. Watch spotting Super Bowl 57. (laughs) Which is like, I don't know, it's a thing. Sure. And I enjoy seeing... Michael Strahan's Rose Gold 5990. Yeah. Yes, me too. I enjoy seeing what I just the other day watched the same scene of a TV show probably 25 times in order to pause it at just the right moment to send a photo of an AMW to the guys. I like watch spotting. But when I read these articles and see these articles, it does a thing to me and it kind of it kind of bugs me. So so the one that I pulled up specifically to talk about is Jalen Hurts watch collection. <laughs> Let me just run it down. I had the Super Bowl number right in front of me. <laughs> a Datejust 41. Like a like a steel Datejust 41, yep. steel silver dial. Yep. A steel just 41, a two-tone black dial Daytona, a day date 40 in ever rose gold with a green dial, mm-hmm. <laughs> and a $129 diesel 50 a millimeter monstrosity. Diesel mega chief chronograph. So so that's the collection. And it got me thinking. Okay. 
he has some interesting things here. They're unique, even to the Rolex portfolio. They're interesting. I think Sans Diesel, this is something I'm like, okay, this guy's got money. He's got access. The question is, does he have taste? Or does he just buy the thing that's in front of him? I guarantee it's the latter. These are watches that were purchased because they were what was in stock at the place that he was at at the moment he wanted to buy a watch. And had $41,500 in his hand. Or, you know, $20,000. You, you know, I, I don't know about a two-tone Daytona. I, I, I don't like that watch. I think that's a crappy watch. I think it's an ugly watch. I think it's the, everything bad about that watch. But I'll leave it there because I think you could fairly like a two-tone Daytona with very reasonable reasons. A, a 41 millimeter date just is unforgivable. That's an unforgivable sin. I don't care who you are, how big you are. A 41 millimeter date just is a turd. Throw it away. I'll give him a pass on his ever rose 41 day date because he is huge. He's a huge dude. He's an enormous guy. He's like he's like the, the second coming of Donovan McNabb. So I give him a pass on that one. It's it it's not a watch for me, but it's it's okay. <laughs> Fucking the diesel, diesel thing. makes sense. It, it it makes sense and also doesn't. Hundred twenty nine bucks on the Amazon right now. So, but this this kind of prompted in me like this this battle with you know we when we think about celebrities who are quote-unquote watch people who have really cool collections. Do they have cool collections just because they have a bucket load of money? Like, is it they're just rich, and if you're rich, those are the watches that you buy? Or are are they watch people? Like, is are they making really deliberate, intentional decisions? Because it this is not a collection for me, but barring the diesel, it's interesting choices. I disagree that these are interesting. I think a 41 date just, if a deliberate decision, is an interesting decision. A two-tone Daytona is a weird decision. If deliberate, it's interesting. And the Everose is kind of like, that's what, you know, that tracks perfectly. But I'm, I, I, I think maybe I've been looking at celebrity watch people all wrong. Like, no, you're just rich. And this guy demonstrates that he's just rich and just went to a Rolex boutique and they're like, Hey, we have this because nobody else wanted it. Do you want it? Yep. I do. You, you know, I, I brought up Michael Strahan earlier because he was at w at one point in, in the halftime show, I believe his 5990 was very prominently displayed. And I was like, Oh shit. Cause that's a, that's a rad watch. I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very cool watch. Uh, but this guy's also got, a really, I would say, thoughtful watch collection. You know, he's got like a Paddock Chronograph 5070. He's got uh, an IWC Big Pilot. He's got a D. Bethune DB28 kind of blue. I mean, th like, th these are the two types of watch collections. I, I think very obviously Jalen Hurts watch collection was purchased on impulse, I go to the watch store. I see something that catches my eye. The salesman hands me the thing that he happens to have in stock. I say, is this expensive? He says, yes, it is. I say, I want it. That That is not a thoughtful watch collection. And maybe it is. And if so, I don't think he's got very good taste. Rather, I think that is a grab your credit card or, or bank card. He makes plenty of money. Grab grab a grab some he, sort he of money. Uses his credit card for the points. Go to the go to the store. Say, show me what you got. Buy the thing. I I think you're right, but I I wonder how much that extends to other celebrities whom we credit. Well, celebrities with having, are actually who, just but, people but whom we credit with, with having really good watch taste. The same the same variety of people uh, as as everybody else on earth. Turns out. Wow. Ceiling has been shattered. <laughs> <laughs> so
so that's enough about celebrity watches. There certainly was like I read the articles and looked at like, oh no, that person's got a cool watch. Like that person obviously has a cool watch. But you you I'm, don't I, wind up with a day Bethune because you have just happen to have a lot of money. That's fair. Right? You you've got to at least be you you at least have to know somebody or at least have a stylist who knows somebody that's right it was like hey mike this is the watch that you want okay but you don't get that by going down to the shopping district popping your head into the local jeweler Mm. and being like let me look at the stuff in the case no no you you certainly do not i mean maybe i i don't go to or they or they send it to you and say Please, God, wear this. <laughs> What's next? Hmm. Let's let's talk about something we've briefly touched on already. The lunar pilot resize. Yeah. We did a whole episode on this. We last did a week. whole episode on it, but I want to talk about it because this is perhaps I always want to see the best in Bulova and Timex when they make these decisions. You're rooting for them. I'm just I'm rooting for them such that I'm willing to overlook some some of their enormous missteps. The lunar pilot has always been missized. It's not just been missized. For me, it was made bigger than the original issue, which was kind of a thing. You know, there was a period when reissues were coming in on a larger size, and that's totally reasonable. And they never really adjusted, <clears throat> such that we just kind of accepted that the lunar pilot was too big. Certainly, we accepted that. Yeah. They've now re-released it back to the original case size. They've also made some other key changes because in typical bull of a fashion, they were like, hey, what's something we can do to fuck this up? <laughs> Not terribly, but let's just fuck it up a little bit. What's your beef? It's the polish. Mm. They went from this really great, like, not matte case, but a blasted case to a big old polished case. It's like, come on. Come on. Yeah, almost got it. And then you stepped in it. I love the resizing. I love that they've uniformed the lug holes because originally they released it without a bracelet. Then when they did a release with a bracelet, they moved where the lug position was, which means there was no reverse compatibility with the bracelet, which is bizarre. Why did you change it in the first place? You're designing it yourself. You can make it the way you want it. (laughs) <laughs> like that's what we got to do but we've got a much better size and i'm really really excited to get one of these on in person i think they're 900 bucks 895 i think is what they're coming in at right now um i'm excited to get one of these on in person because this is a watch that i have adored since the first time i saw it and just couldn't get with the size yeah it was a swipe right watch yeah well you, you know hopefully Hopefully they go back and they release this in a blasted finish because I I, I don't mind the polished case on this actually I think it's I think it looks great but it, it, it's not I think it it changes the dynamic of the watch it, a lot it completely changes the watch but that's what we're working with right now a finally appropriately sized true to the original design lunar pilot and I'm here for it. What you, what you got? So this is a watch that I think was, was prominent, prominent in watch media this last week, but you're not hearing a lot of excitement about it, which makes sense based on the watch. But this is the Hamilton Jazz Master Face to Face 3. Uh, so, so this is a 
re-release or a, or a or a iteration on on an existing design uh, from I don't know uh, mid 2010s I'd say yeah uh, they've they've redesigned it they've made it rounder and less oval it's and, not an oval anymore this is a round case and this is a watch that I, I don't know what do you call this it flips it's a reverso it, well. Not exactly, but yeah, yeah, right. It, it flips, and you get both a dial and a case, but you've got timekeeping options on both sides—a a, a dial and a case back, or or a or a movement. Yeah, and timekeeping on both sides. And the, yeah, it's it's almost like a skeleton on the case back side, where you get the full visibility of the movement. And a three-hander. It's weird. It is. It's weird. Uh, it, it, it's kind of funny size. It's a big 44 millimeter and like 18 thick. 17 and a quarter. Uh, with And it's got a, kind of a big lug to lug and... Yeah. 22 millimeter lug width. Yeah. I'm out. That, that, I mean, this is cool. It is very cool, uh, but it's also very weird. And it's interesting to me. I've seen a lot of reversible watch photos as of late, mm. like whether it be in watch media or in Instagram and it seems to be something that might be getting dabbled with as like super limited runs. Cause this is a hundred piece limited run. You know, this isn't going to be a thousand pieces. I think a thousand. Yeah. I think 999 doesn't matter. A super small limited run. This isn't going to be a staple. I think it's within that context. I think it's a fun thing for brands to play with on reversible watch heads because it's cool technology to be able to do that. You know, it's, it's very, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to make it work is cool. So what I, is the complication on the back? I think it's just a three hand. Well, it's just a single hand. Is it just a, Tachometer? Uh, is it just the second part of a chrono of the chronograph? I think it may just be the second span of the chronograph. It looks like it. <clears throat> yeah, this is a weird watch. It's interesting. Uh, it it's not cheap. Three thousand bucks because there's that's more than that. A lot of stuff going on here. I think twenty nine ninety five is what they are. Oh yeah. What's it? Hey, oh Australian money. So yeah, you 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 sent a link to the Tom and Ted website. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's cool. It, I, I I don't really have. I mean, what do you say about this watch? It's weird and it's interesting and it's a cool thing that Hamilton's doing amid all of the other cool things they're doing. They're like, hey, we can still be weird and creative and fun. We're not just going to give you staples <laughs> of stuff that you want. We're going to give you things you never even knew you could want. Link in the show notes. Take a look. What do you got? Ooh, I know what I want to talk about. Where is it? I want to talk about the Accutron Astronaut GMT Automatic. I had a feeling. So this is now, you know, I'm, this isn't Bulova, it's Accutron. But this is two Bulova hits for me. In recent memory, <clears throat> it is a reissue of their 1968 T version at day night bezel on a super simple, super 70s, I mean, 1968 GMT. Mm. I'm here for it. I don't dig so much the price. It's 3500 bucks. Um specs on it. Where are they? 
So it's a it, it's a SW330, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic movement. Here, here's what got me really excited. 41 millimeter case mm-hmm. on that big slab of a dial. Coming from Accutron or from Bulova, you'd expect this to be ringing in at like 43, 44, but they're bringing in the 41 millimeter GMT right there. They're learning. They're starting to do things right. Yeah. This is an appropriate size for this style of watch. I agree. I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that it's a inappropriate size. What, What do you call these lugs? What do you call these lugs? I, there, there may be a a word Micro for lugs. it. They're short and they're sort of they're kind of vintagey claw. and claw is what I'm gonna go with. All right, because they they kind of cut out and back. Yeah, sure. Right, they're almost. I mean, they're not. It's they're interesting. Everything it, about this watch is interesting to me. It, yeah, I, I kind of hate the bracelet. So the bracelet sort of the 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 sides of the bracelet kind of. They're like come in on themselves towards the top of the watch, uh, towards the viewing angle of the watch, which is weird. And the links are, I think, shorter than I'd like them. I don't love this watch, but I like what the watch is. And I think that's kind of your point here. Yes, I, I, I like what the watch is because I it shows to me that they're seeing the light. They see the opportunity that's out there. They're they're not relying wholly on the fashion brand segment. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to do some cool stuff for us. Bit of a saucer case, which I'm fine with. I'm not sure I understand the Accutron brand in this instance. Yeah, it was a weird choice, but it's a reissue. It does look to me like the details are really nice it looks to me like the hands and the markers are really nice and it looks to me like the bracelets are really well put together so uh don't sapphire gmt this is a cool watch i i I'm, I'm gonna stop objecting it sounds like i don't like it i like it more than i'm suggesting and the more you look at it you're like oh actually i turns out i, I like this quite a bit and a bayonet case back mm-hmm. yeah i'm about it go boulevard thirty five hundred dollars ouch yeah, yeah, it's a, but, you know, I don't know. I have no excuse for the for the, the pricing. I'm not sure, but I'm okay with it. So Seiko, Seiko pumped into the King Seiko brand again. Yeah, they did. Uh, and, and they released uh, two different sets of King Seiko. So the first is a 30 seven millimeter uh, uh so same so i have the gray dial 37 millimeter king seiko they they released this with this brown hexagonal patterned dial that's sort of a uh ombre gradient dial gorgeous mm-hmm. you, you know the case is the, the the case is fantastic six r movement um you, you, you know, if you like it, you see it and you say, oh, I like that. And if you like the dial, the same deal. It's a beautiful dial, beautiful watch. I, I love this move to sort of more like sexy Seiko dials, which is sort of high end Seiko thing right now. But they also released this in three different dial iterations on a in a 39 millimeter case which is an interesting choice yeah so a little bit bigger a little bit more modern looking and feeling watch with three i'd I'd call these jewel tones perhaps or or like is one of these is uh one of these is a a a off-white or perhaps a crew dial (laughs) One of them is a sunray navy, and one of these is green. And the green is really nice, mm-hmm. like a green. And it's sunburst. not gilted, and it's really hard to find green dials that aren't gilted. Yeah, 
Yeah, and this is just straight up metal everything. So I don't believe they've added any loom to any of these. So these are still non-loomed, King Seiko, uh, and they're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. A little bit thinner. So I think these come in at 11.9 versus the 12 and change of the 37 millimeter. Interesting. Which I, I doesn't say movements, so I'm not sure what happened there. But still solid case back. Um, yeah, I, I think it opens this up a little bit. It, it appears visually to have the same exact proportions as the as the 37 from the top down. Mm-hmm. And so I think this opens this watch up to people who tried on the 37 and were like, love it, but it's too small for me. And the 37 is just so well sized. You, you know, but we like that. I, I think that there are people who think that's too small of a watch. And and, and that's fair. I, I I can understand that. And so I think this this 39 is a really sensical upsize of this watch. I think what I like most about the King Seiko brand is it stands so in such stark contrast to Grand Seiko. Grand Seiko is these really long, sweeping lines, super elegant, very modern. And King Seiko is hard corners and anglage. Still very Seiko in a wholly different way. And it's kind of unlike where it used to be kind of hard to differentiate between Grand Seiko and Seiko, and then they split. Mm-hmm. And there's still a lot of overlap there and a lot of cross-pollination. Grand Seiko is very different. Well, you know, they killed but, they killed King Seiko for 30 years, and it's almost yeah. like when they re, re-fired it up, they didn't have to to catch up with anything. They just were able to start it. Started off where it stopped. Just power it back on, and there it is, just running like a champ. And it's it's killer. It's a totally unique identity within the Seiko family, but still fits perfectly. I really like this. I really like yours. That 37 is money. I'm not a big fan of textured dials. I, I can do without, but... It, it works in, in this application, and I would not get it, but I totally dig it. Yeah, indeed. So it's still a lot of money for these. You know, I think the <clears throat> the 39s are coming in at just under 2000 and the new 37 is, I believe it's at the same, but I do think it's limited. Um, this is 1,950 euros. Yeah. So about the same amount of dollars. And it is limited to 1,200 pieces. But the 39 For the brown dial. The 39s are unlimited. Yeah, the 39s will be part of the permanent lineup. That's right. Which makes sense. That That's following the, the suit of we release watches in multiple sizes. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the thing right now. That's the thing, man. And I'm glad it's the thing. Andrew, what's next? Mm. My beer tastes bad. You're, this is going to be an incredibly long episode to edit with your long gaps. Just leave them. Ball has a new release. At least kind of a new release. They've added some colors, which is something that I think Ball has kind of been lacking in. They haven't really caught up with the... The color game. They've relied on their loom colors. They haven't caught up at all with the size iteration game. Still. Maybe that's next. Engineer Master 2 Diver Chronometer. They've dropped some new colors. They obviously have their still rainbow loom options. But so they have dropped a green, not gilted, a brown. A blue. What else we got here? 
Where are they? Doesn't matter. They have six new colors. Yeah, right? What? I think that's spoiled. Is it? I'm not drinking that. It doesn't taste good. Yeah, I'm not drinking that. It smells spoiled to me. Okay. I'm glad it wasn't just me. The first one was okay. It's because they put raspberries in it. My next thing. The Ball Engineer Master 2 Diver Chronometer. It says there's six new colors. It's not exactly true, nor is it exactly not true. We've got a blue, a green, and a brown. I'm not real pumped on the brown, but the green, guiltless, amazing. A kind of metallic-y blue that is really lovely. Coming in both their standard loom and rainbow loom options. So you double up based on which loom availability you want. So it's kind of three, sure. but it's kind of six. Here's, here's the thing. In spite of the fact that they're still dropping beautiful watches, maybe they could take a hint from everyone else and, and do like a 38 instead of everything being in 40, because that's kind of the problem that I have with Ball, as much as I like all of their watches. These are 42, I think. Yeah, no, but what I'm getting at is that they just can't get below 40. They're they're sort of a one-trick pony. They do a lot of cost. They have awesome loom. All their watches are really similar. They have some a little bit of difference in their dials, but generally speaking, for such a large catalog there's very little going on besides tritium tubes that bums me out they're just stuck in 2008 very much i really like the addition of colors i think it shows some willingness to grow and change with the the market at large i like this watch i like the twin stick internal rotating bezel i think it's all really cool i'm just I just want to see more. Is that too much to ask? Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, this, I actually think this is a fine size for this watch. For this one? For this watch. Uh, and I think it's beautiful. I really, so this is a, this is a dual stick internal rotating bezel, um, you, you know, not a compressor case, but sort of a, <laughs> a, a, a compressor a compressor like case. Uh, I think this is a fantastic watch. The, I believe, I believe that the internal bezel is domed. Domed sapphire. And so it gives, it has this really nice three dimensional feature to it. You said you, I think you had said you did not like the Brown. I actually, I know you do think the Brown is, is really pretty. Um, not sure it would be my first choice. They've got sort of a a panda thing that I really like. A, a white bezel with the black dial that I think is gorgeous. The price on these is good. I think twenty six hundred is retail, and you can get them for twenty two hundred now. I think this is cool, man. Yeah, I, Ball's always really well priced, right? That yeah. two thousand to twenty five hundred zone. Against what you're getting for it. Almost everything that you're going to get out of, out of them is a chronometer, top-of-the-line finishing. I'm not sure if they're using true in-house movements. I can't imagine that they are, but they could be. But they're certainly using unique-to-them movements, whether they're doing the finishing and assembly or whatever. A super-storied brand... Just make them smaller. Just make them smaller. <laughs> what you got? So this is actually a, a watch you had sent me. Um, but this is a watch from Citizen. Uh, I, I'm not sure what we're calling this case. I think it's technically called the Citizen Promaster Dive. This is the one with the big sort of wide corners making it 
have a square mm-hmm. appearance. Uh, it's big, it's funky, it's square. Uh, and and they and they've released this in a fully loomed dial with a giant orange minute hand and a a black resin case. Uh, this is rad. I'm all about it. Um, giant skeleton hands, so as not to interfere with the entirely loomed dial. This is a watch that I've always kind of hated. Cause yeah. it's just ugly as sin. It's ugly. It's but it's it's good ugly. But you put it in resin. I'm for it. it it's ugly with a middle finger, right? Yes. And now in a resin case, even if this was like a PVD steel case, I'm still for it. This watch is not meant to be in bare steel. Is what it comes down to, at least as I see it now. Like, oh, you're the, you're perfect, just not the way you are. You just need a little upgrade or or a change. And it so perfectly fits the watch because this is a banger. Excuse me. It's not resin. No, it's titanium. Gunmetal titanium. Better still. Now I'm, I'm sorry. Now I'm, it looks like a resin case. Titanium is interesting that way. It really does look like resin. Yeah, this is really cool. And, and, and in titanium, you know, it's going to be super light. I mean, not as light as resin, perhaps, but. Maybe more though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to say, but this is the banger tool watch. And here's what the most exciting part is. 550 bucks. Yeah. Super affordable. I think the 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 Promaster Diver like Ecozilla ver- variety is what 300 ish. Yeah, I think that there it depends on what do you get, but anywhere from 250 to 500 so to be pulling it in titanium with a full loom dial in just a i mean even in resin at 550 i think it'd be kind of like well, i think i'm okay with this still yeah yeah these are cool man these these are really cool uh you, you know me so if you're gonna be weird like be weird and, and i think this does that this does the that in a way that really appeals to me you can find these in lots of different colors too i think that's the other thing i like but the this full loom dial is maybe the best of the bunch it it definitely is yeah what a good banger i might get one of these i do really like the new ish it's not new but i do like the newish um aqualand i i can't remember reference for it or anything but it it has that ecozilla feel to it with the depth gauge they're expensive they're the, like the promaster aqualand yeah they're like 1200 bucks but i do really like that watch it's because it's it's ex, it's exactly all these things it's just like this big ass middle finger no oh no the 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 big one uh I think it's the Aqualand depth meter. The depth meter? Yeah. It's also got a loom dial on it. Yeah, this guy. With the snorkel for a crown guard? Oh, no. I'm looking at this. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's the old one. That's the old old Aqualand. No, so this one is reference BN202901E. And it's just huge and funky and ugly and huge and funky and ugly. I'm kind of here for it. You, you do like ugly watches. I'm here for it, man. You just do. Andrew, 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 what's next? A versus Hamilton Murph 38 up against the Seiko Alpinist SPB one, two, one. This is an article. Yeah, but I, I honestly, I didn't, I didn't read the article. I just, <laughs> I saw the, the prompt, and I was like, oh, that's intriguing. So this is, uh, so this is prompted by Time and Tide magazine, mm-hmm. our friends, uh, Borna Bosnak, Bosniak, uh, someone I don't know, um, someone I'm not familiar with, 
but it's a continuation of a, of the verses column that they do on Time and Tide. Mm-hmm. This is a fun one. The Mirth 38 against the Alpinist. Yes. And and not, a really natural the head to head. Not the current iteration of the Alpinist. It is the internal rotating bezel iteration of the Alpinist. The 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 017 Alpinist. Yes. So um looking at some some when I read comparative articles, something that always really bugs me is in the water resistance. If one brand uses bars or Atmos or meters, they use whatever that brand is. So in this one, we're having a comparison of 20 bar for the Alpinist and 100 meters for the Murph. And you wish they had just made that consistent. Just, Just convert it. Not hard. Well, so without getting into the details here, we've got two similar watches. So this is actually the SPV 121, which is the new, which is the new version of the Alpinist. Is it? Um, oh, it is. Yeah, you're right. And, and so, th- uh, a damn near forty millimeter case. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on these two? So, so similar in some ways. Both of these, both of these watches have what I'd call cathedral hands. They both have sort of a vintagey. Uh, pilot field type of dial without putting too fine a point on it. They're similar. I think in every regard, unintentionally. So, uh, what are your thoughts? It is a really interesting comparison and they're really, they're priced up really similarly. Yeah. I think you can get both of these for right around a thousand bucks right in there. What it comes down to for me is which is cooler. When I look at these two watches, one I see is that really classic Hamilton pilot field watch. And in the Alpinist, it has all of those same things, but it's kind of got a little quirk. Mm -hmm. A four o'clock crown with an internal rotating bezel. That, That is used for navigation. Yes. Intentionally for navigation takes one little thing and adds this enormously important tool for what you're using. But for somebody who doesn't need that navigation internal crown, I love these two watches. And as similar as they are, I think there's a place for both of them in any person's watch box. Yeah. Because they're so, so different. I could do without the Fotina, on the Murph. On the Murph, sure. But I love the Murph. The Murph is, to me, a much more refined, tending towards, like, what I'm imagining is, like, the early days of the dress sport watch. <clears throat> right? It's it's a field watch, yes. But it's like, you know, yeah, yeah. We, we, we can do a little more here. This version of the Seiko. You know, I think we've referred to this Seiko version of the Alpinist as sort of the king of the dress sport watch in yes. the past. And, and, and in some ways it is. It's, it's, I think your point is they've taken what the Murph was and made it a more complicated, more modern, yes. more complex watch. Yes. I don't like the gilted green, but you know, sometimes you just have to, you own the gilted green. No, I have the black. Oh, okay. I don't, oh. I wouldn't have ever bought the gilted green for myself. <laughs> um, but it's an interesting thing to think about these two watches. And and when you really get into it, the differences are forgettable. It comes down to, do you want an internal rotating bezel? Yeah. So for me, there's a one big difference, a dimensional difference, which is that the Hamilton comes in at well under 12 millimeters and the Seiko with its chunky butt comes in at Almost 13 and a half. The Seiko is a little bit bigger in every dimension. Nearly two millimeters thicker on the Seiko. Nearly. It's also, you know, all of a millimeter and a half longer lug to lug. Yeah, but this is like a 46. These lug to lugs are manageable. I'm not worried about the lug. It's a millimeter and a half thicker case or wider case. It's just bigger in every dimension, which makes sense because there's more things going on and it could get away with those things if it was thinner but it's got a fat ass for our movement so it can't get away with it fair fair 
<laughs> the differences are not though. And it was a really, int- it was when I, when I look at them, I'm like, Oh, well, obviously this is a winner. And then you get into it and you, you actually put some thoughtfulness behind it. Actually, this is the same. Yeah. And I don't think it matters that they're the same. I still want them both. Cause I love the Murph. I love that field watch feel that, that super simple. I mean, you know me. I do know you, you know the things that I like. And in its defense, we get 20 bar of water resistance with the Alpinist sure versus do. the 100 with the Hamilton. So, sure do. And I said 4R. I was wrong. It's the 6R. Excuse me, you Alpinist lovers. This it's is one of the few 6R Seikos of 10 years ago that still has a 6R movement. <laughs> the Hamilton movement is objectively better. Man, they're using the the powermatic. The yeah, the powermatic. It's a ten to fifteen per day, eighty hours of power reserve versus Seiko's fifteen to twenty five with seventy. Yeah, it's a it's a better movement. Same beat rate, more accurate, but it's a thinner movement. It's probably going to be more accurate for longer. Probably easier to replace. Yeah, probably. But I love these watches. And I love comparing them. These aren't two watches that I would ever put up head to head. Well, Andrew, here we are. Here we are at the time where we need to start discussing moving on. Is there anything else that's happened in watches in the last handful of weeks that you just got to get off your chest? You know, no. There's something that I want to talk about. We'll, we'll We'll have to come back to it. Omega dropped a cool movement. Plus or minus two a day kind of movement. Yeah. It, and and sort of putting itself out in front of everyone. The king of, of movements being being Rolex. Omega's playing. They're here to play. Yeah. And they always have. They just, you know, have jockeyed for their current lead. We forget how good Rolex is, but Omega is Omega's right there. Mm-hmm. Always is. All right. We should we'll we'll come back to that. Probably. Andrew. Other things. What you got? I'm a Peacock television subscriber. <laughs> I thought I thought you were gonna like do it. Gotta dance. let me fly. <laughs> uh I'm a Peacock television subscriber. And one of the things that I really enjoy watching is the office it's like just perfect background noise because you don't ever really have to be invested into it they have the extended cuts seasons available up through season six and they call it the super fan episodes they're just director's cuts so they're a little bit extended i don't know i haven't actually took Took the time to take in the time. Yeah, taking the time to look and see how much longer the episodes are. My assessment would be like five to seven minutes longer. So a couple extra scenes. The extra scenes that they've added, having now watched six seasons of The Office with their extra scenes, hmm. are amazing i have no idea how they were able to cut them from the actual running time of the series and some of them are like pivotal story moments do they tell you when you're watching extended stuff is there any sort of demarcation nope it just runs you're like oh i don't recognize this this is new but some of them i've seen them like i never saw that before and that makes all of these other things make sense how did you cut out a key story moment? I have absolutely loved it. I really like The Office. It's a show that I've watched way more times than most anybody ever should. It's like a comfort show for me. The super fan episodes that are available on Peacock are terrific. I love them. I will watch the entire series over again, and I will probably never go back to the not extended editions. 
And this isn't like Lord of the Rings extended edition that takes a three hour movie and makes it a nine hour movie. <laughs> okay. This is a couple extra minutes. A lot of them are really subtle. It's like that scene maybe just stretches 10 more seconds where they add just a, just a touch more to the scene. It's been killer. If you do like the office and you're not a Peacock's Peacock subscriber, if you are a Peacock subscriber, I'm I a imagine, Peacock. I imagine you're probably already watching this, but if you have watched the office with enjoyment these are these are really fun i like them i'm here for it dude do it you got peacock i think i got rid of it i hope i got rid of it Eh, you're still paying for it (laughs) everyone's still paying for it andrew it's been a while since we've talked about photography cameras photography gear has been on this podcast i bought a camera Ooh, like a disposable I, I did. I did. They're really expensive these days. Uh, and you can't get the film developed. You can. This is not a disposable camera. This is a camera that is is made of metal. At least some, some metal components. Yeah. Some metal. Uh, I have long been a user of Nikon. Mm, one of I've, those guys. I've been a Nikon DSLR user since I started taking pictures back in, I don't know, 1976, 2003, give or take. I bought my first Nikon uh, it, and it was good. It was good. Uh, I went to the store. I said, I need a good camera. They're like, try this one. I've used Nikon APS-C or crop sensor cameras since then, almost exclusively. I... I believe Andrew in 2020 or 2019 was in the market for a new camera. And I bought, I had considered moving at that time because the writing's been on the wall for many years that mirrorless is happening, whether we like it or not. Uh, and and so DSLR technology is is being consistently uh n- neglected and phased out uh but i i have all these lenses and so i decided to make one more run and i purchased the relatively new at the time nikon d7500 and it has served me well it's a fantastic camera it's a decent size it's got a beautiful sensor it's got great processor uh the features work really well it, it, it's a good it's a good camera but i have of late found it cumbersome and not wanted to take pictures with it because I just didn't want to have it on my body because it's so big. It's so big. You, you know, DSLRs are big. Nikon lenses are big. The good glass is big. And so it's just, I don't want to have it with me. And so I have been eyeballing a company that's known for doing things smaller. I've been eyeballing Fuji. And I finally bit the bullet and I bought a not new, not even current range. I bought a... As as you would do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I bought a such three or four year old, maybe five at this point, Fuji XE3. Now, it, it, right now, all Fujis are incredibly high demand. Uh, prices on used Fujis are probably twice what they were even a year and a half ago. And so it's a little, it's not a great time for to be buying Fuji anything. Fuji X100Vs are more or less sold out everywhere. And if you find one, it's $2,000. I wasn't interested in the X100V because it does not have an interchangeable lens system. And I'm hoping to move all the way over to Fuji. And so I needed to have an interchangeable lens camera. The XE is part of their XE line, which is not entry level. It's lower mid range. I love so many things about Fuji. I love the fact that all of their main line, their X series cameras have an APS-C sensor. You can't buy a single one of their X series cameras from their website right now. Yeah, they're, they're really hard to find. I love that they don't have a quote-unquote full-frame 35-millimeter sensor. 
you either are invested in their their uh, medium format or you're invested in their APS-C. I love the fact that no matter which camera in the line you buy, so you buy the XE4, which is their, I think at this point, their entry-level interchangeable lens camera, or you buy the X-H2. It doesn't matter which one you buy. You get this, you, you basically get the same sensor, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you, you get the same processors, same sensor. You're going to get different features, right? You're going to get different buttons, different interfaces. Uh, some of them are going to have IBIS, you know, whatever. But you're getting the same image quality. As between any, so mine's an X-Trans 3 sensor. So as between this or a XT, I think it's a 20 or 30 or whatever, a much nicer camera, you're getting the same image quality. So I went with the XC3. It's tiny, Andrew. I don't know how big it is, but it palm is. Sized. Well, no, it's a little bigger than your palm. It's hand-sized. Yeah, yeah it's hand-sized. Size got, of a Pop-Tart. I started with just one lens. It's a the equivalent of a 35 millimeter field of view. It's a 23 millimeter F2 prime lens. And I've had this thing on my body since I got it. And I love it. I love it. I'm so happy. I'm listing for sale probably in the next handful of weeks, all of my Nikon DSLR stuff. I'm invested. I'm going to get all the lenses I want. I'm here for it, man. I love this camera. I love shooting. I love carrying it. It's small. It's not light. No, not light. Not by a long shot. It's all metal. It feels, but it feels very high quality. As of, as it's of a this joy recording. to turn the focus ring. Um, it's got dials to do everything I want. The aperture controls are on the lenses. That's so fucking cool. That's super smart. That's where it ought to be. I love it. As of this recording, there is one available on Amazon for seven ninety eight. Just the body, brand new, brand new. And I think you can get the this lens for four hundred ish new. So uh, twelve hundred bucks for this kit. I paid less than that. Mine's used. I got it from Kazakhstan, <laughs> from an eBayer. Uh, it when it came to me, I turned it on and I had to find how to change the language because it was set to Kazakh. And you had to find how to change the language on YouTube because you're not going to be able to fiddle fuck your way through that menu. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I I did do exactly that. So you fiddle fucked with it and got it all the way out. Yep. I did. Way to go. As soon as I changed it to English, I was fine, but yeah, I had to get to the language setting and, it's a super cool camera, and I think I think Fuji's doing some really interesting stuff. And I think I think they're kind of representative of a of a thing that's going on in the less is more kind of consumer mm-hmm. ideals. Smaller, more sleek. I think we're going to start seeing cell phones reducing in size again. Mm. No, it's already happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they've tapped into something, and and there's a I think there's a couple good reasons for it to have happened. Really, when it happened, I mean, really, ten years ago is when Fuji sort of started to really have some significant market presence, uh, and and that's I think about the same time that sensors sort of hit their like diminishing returns. As sensors improve from here, it, we're not getting a ton more in terms of image quality. So prior to 10 years ago, every time a new sensor would come out, you'd get much better low light performance or much better dynamic range. At some point in the last decade and a half, not a lot more than that, we've sort of hit this level where our changes, the changes in sensors are going to be incremental. So Fuji, at the right time really hit the wave in terms of what they were doing. APS-C sensors are no longer a significant downgrade from a full-frame sensor. And 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 Fuji does so many things so well. I, I think menus are a struggle for Fuji, but they're a struggle for Sony, and Sony is kind of the undisputed king right now. 
Um, there's a couple of other things that they struggle with, but they they do the things that count. So color rendition on Fuji's is by all accounts best in the business. And the JPEGs I'm getting from this camera are, are incredible. I'm shooting in raw and JPEG and I'm just not using the raw photos because the JPEGs are so good. Fuji does their film simulations. And then there's also a number of publications in particular Fuji X weekly that's publishing recipes, film simulation recipes that you are really intuitive to get in there and program and save. Um, How many can you save? How many presets can you have? I think I have the ability to save eight. That's a lot. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and, and you know, you, it's easy to scroll <clears throat> through them. You can name them. So you just click, click, click. Oh, that's the one I want to be on. Uh, I've not. I've not pulled a single raw photo off of this raw file off of this because I'm getting so satisfactory results with the, with the film simulation JPEGs. Uh, I'm really happy. I've only had it for a handful of days at this point. So obviously a longer term, you know, review or commentary is warranted, but for right now, super excited, super fun. If you're still shooting a big clunky DSLR and you don't want to take it places, take a look at Fuji. I'm digging it, man. I'm intrigued by it. I don't like carrying a camera. I don't like carrying a phone. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that that's a camera size that I could carry. Andrew, what else do you got for today? I got nothing else. I think we've done it. Well, hey, thanks, you guys, for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. Why don't you check us out at our website, watchclicker.com. That is where we post every single episode of this podcast and reviews and articles and other things involving watches that you may or may not be interested in. You can also check us out on the social media, in particular Instagram at 40 and 20 underscore watch clicker or at watch clicker. If you want to support us and oh boy, we hope you do. You can do that at patreon.com slash 40 and 20 to all of you who are already supporting us. Thank you so much. We genuinely, genuinely appreciate you. And if you don't support us, think about it. You can give a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, whatever you want. Any little bit helps us pay for hosting, software, hardware. And uh, yeah, don't forget to check us out next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>